Good morning. Um, we are back into the Rev- uh, book of Revelation, so if you would go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation, we um, want to be back into that book as we move through that, uh, that book. Starting in chapter 16 today, there's not much more in this book. In some ways, just a few more chapters, but yet it's so deep and so rich, so full. It could take us years to get through, but we won't do that. We'll go slow, but not that slowly. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1. Then I heard a voice, a loud voice. I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, such a a precious time already this morning. So good. Thank you so much for the gift of music. How it lifts us up to you. It lifts our thoughts off of ourselves and allows us to focus upon you. It's such majestic songs. We thank you for tongues to be able to sing. Lord, it is a precious thing to meet together and fellowship together and break bread and pray together. And, and now we've, we've come to study Your Word together. Lord, as we look at this, just this one small verse, Lord, may we glean from it all that is there. And Lord, it is our privilege to be together. And may we be encouraged, uplifted today, ready to go back out into a world that Dave has mentioned is just not as friendly as it used to be toward Christians. And Lord, we, we see the handwriting on the wall. We see that some point persecution will come. Lord, may we be ready. Lord, again, bless our time together. Encourage us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just want to look at one verse because I want to uh, I want to focus a little bit at the beginning here just on on review. So if you would go back to the beginning of the book of Revelation, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page, that we're right to where we need to be. And the first of this book, Revelation chapter one and verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is about Christ. Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. God the Father gave this revelation to God the Son. Now, why did that need to happen? Because God the Son had submitted himself to the Father, completely dependent upon the Father, if you remember, in Christ's day. And he said, only the Father knows when the Son of Man is going to return. He said, in Matthew chapter 28, he said, all I can do is give you signs. Here's some signs. I don't know the day. But the Father knows the day. That's up to Him. But here are some signs that lead that lead toward that. And, uh, and He gives us those signs. And He mentions birth pangs, things that lead up to His return. And look over in verse 19. So Christ comes. He gives this revelation that was given to Him. He gives that to, to John. It says His bond servant, John. John then passes it on to the church. He writes it down for us. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, write the things which you have seen. Now, this is a revelation from Christ. Christ meets John, reveals himself to John in all of his 
glory and all of his splendor. And John sees this and he now is commanded, commissioned, verse 19, to write these things down. And he's to write down three things. And that is, that becomes then our outline for the whole book of Revelation. He says, write down these things. The things which you have seen. That's the first revelation of Jesus Christ when he came to John on the the Lord's day that John is describing in chapter 1. And then, notice, write down the things that are, which are. Currently, right now, in John's day, and there was a letter to seven churches, or actually seven letters to seven churches. And uh, we see that in chapters 2 and chapter 3. This is our outline. Outline point number 2. Chapter 2 and 3 are the things that are. That's the letters to the seven churches. And then we have, and then the things which will take place after these things. Now that becomes important technical language there. This is future events. And that's the majority of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is primarily a prophecy. A prophecy. Now let's pick up again in chapter 4. Because this is where the things which have seen, the things which are, have been completed now. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. This is another revelation from, uh, from John. And John is invited up to heaven. That's pretty cool, right? We would all say, hey, man, yeah, open door in heaven. I I will come up. And he was invited and he was shown all of these things. And there's a series of visions that John is is being exposed to. And he is to write these things down and he is to, to record them for us and to give them to the churches. It's for the churches. And if we go back to chapter one, we see that it's supposed to be a blessing, a blessing to the church. But the focus of of the, the book of Revelation from chapters 4 all the way to chapter 19, the vast majority of the book is concerning one time period, and that is the tribulation period. The tribulation period. Now, there's a few things that we need to understand. The focus of the tribulation period, but tribulation period will, will come as a result of this wave of bombardment of God's wrath upon the earth, and at the end of that time, Christ will return. Okay, so you, you get it. The focus is upon this tribulation period. Now, there's, there's four things you need to know about this very quickly. Number one, there's a, it's a definite time period. And you need to understand this. A definite time period. In chapter 3 and verse 10, chapter 3 and verse 10, because you have kept the words of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing. That is a specific amount of time. An hour of testing. And this is talking about the church. Keeping the church out of this time of testing. That is about to come upon the whole earth. That's going to be it's a global testing. A testing those who dwell on the earth. Those earth dwellers. Now we've been talking about that all through the book of Revelation. These earth dwellers. This time of testing is going to come. And what we know is comparing notes with Daniel and Matthew chapter 24 and the book of Revelation. It's a seven year period of time. And we've seen that. We've studied those things out. It's a definite period of time. Also, we need to note that it's progressively worse. Things get worse and worse and worse. And what we find 
is that Christ even said that they're like birth pangs. A, a lady that's getting ready to give birth, there's pains start out, the, the pains may be five minutes apart, and then they get down to three and two, and, and then it's just very, very intense pain. And Jesus compared it to that. And these birth pangs we see are waves of wrath, of God's wrath and persecution upon the earth. The third thing that we see here is that the church is missing. We don't see the church in this section of Revelation concerning during this period of uh, tribulation time. We don't see the church. It's obviously missing. And because it's right up till the point, all these letters to the church, you think the church is going to be involved, so you've got to prepare the church, but the church is absent, the church is not there. And it's a good indication that the church has been raptured, and during this seven, period, seven year period of time, the church is, um, is with the Lord, celebrating the married supper of the Lamb. And so, and the focus then turns to Israel. Israel becomes God's representatives here on this earth, no longer the church, but Israel. And then the fourth thing that we need to see is the the primary focus of the time period of the the tribulation is God's wrath. That brings us to where we are today. God's wrath. And God's unleashing these waves of, of His wrath, waves of judgment upon the earth. First of all, we see the sealed judgments. The seals that are un, that are broken open up, and, and each one of them uh, brings a, a wave of of God's wrath, a wave of punishment, a wave of judgment. There's seal judgment. That seventh seal judgment becomes the the trumpet judgments. The trumpet, uh, uh, the, this second wave of judgments, and there's seven of those. And the seventh one of those trumpet judgments is turns into bowl judgments, much like you would pull out a telescope. And that's what we see. In the focus, it's it's all upon God's wrath. God's wrath just being poured out constantly upon the earth. And uh, there's it's a time of trouble. It's a time of testing. It's a time of God's wrath. Now. I want to slow down and just use this one verse in chapter 16, in verse 1, because it's a significant time, a significant moment. It's an important time. And, and John is kind of built up to this, uh, up to this particular time. And if we just kind of glaze over it, we're going we're gonna to miss some rich things here. We need to slow down a little bit. And in this passage, what we see is just a snapshot of a significant time in history. It's history that's future, but it's coming. We know it. We know it. Now, there's in history, in the past, we've there's particular moments in time that are, are pretty significant, that are times when major decisions are made. And I, I think of that, that time, it would have been in August, probably early August, when Harry S. Truman decided to drop the bombs on... Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, that would have been a major decision. I would love to have been, just stand back and watch that decision being made and that, that command given, okay, do it. We, we know it's time. We know it's going to save lives. And, and so just, just do it. Even though, even though 129,000 people were killed in those two bombings. That's amazing. And another 100,000 just after the, the, the after effects of those bombs. It's a major decision. Now, August 6th and August 9th of 1945, 1945. That's a major time. That's a significant moment. 
And the same thing is happening here. The decision's already been made, but it's just the giving of the command, carry it out, that I want us to draw our attention to. This is the beginning of the end. Now, this is, this is a bittersweet moment. People will be killed by the thousands. But what is so sweet is that Christ is going to piggyback on this and return. So we see the return of Christ. Even though there's much judgment, this final wave, this third wave of judgment is going to usher in the kingdom of Christ, which is a wonderful thing. Now, what happens is the world... I believe the problem is that the world is not ready for this. And they don't see this. I mean, we sit in a time of comfort and of ease, a time of God's grace, a time of God's patience, a time of God's love being shown. He is being diligent to give us grace. And He is a good and, and forgiving God. And He's so gracious. It's hard for us to even imagine that God is going to pour out His wrath upon the earth. It's hard for us to imagine that. So I think we need to just slow down and we need to see what is happening. This particular verse, because a day will come, a day will come when God gives this final command to bring his wrath upon the earth. And what is that day? What what makes that day significant? There's three elements to that. What makes that day significant? Number one is the source of the command. Now look at the beginning of chapter 16. Then I heard with a loud voice from the temple. Heard with a loud voice from the temple. John has heard this loud voice, or a voice at least, 20 times in the book of Revelation we see. And it's not a a lackadaisical voice. It's not an off-the-cuff kind of voice. This is a a loud voice. It's a loud voice. The, the, The loudness emphasizes the magnitude of this judgment that is being about to be poured out upon the earth. But look at the previous verse, chapter 15 and verse 8. We see that, And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and with His power. Now remember the last time that we spoke in Revelation, it was a few months ago really, that this was a temple of doom, a temple of wrath. It was filled with God's wrath. So much so, it says, that they, they could not even enter the temple of God. Until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Only God was in this temple. This is the voice of God. This voice came from the temple. God is the only one in this temple. This is the source of this command is God. It is not just disgruntled saints who would like to see uh, the earth being purged. It's not the earth, it's not the angels that are uh, fighting this battle, that is making this decision. This is God Himself. This is a, a voice of recompense. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 66. And we heard this voice before. Isaiah 66, the, the last chapter in the book of Isaiah, and verse 6. Isaiah 66 and verse 6. Let me just point this out to you, because this is a a different voice than than the God we're used to hearing today, it seems like. A voice of uproar, he says, from the city. A voice from the the temple. A voice of the Lord who is rendering recompense to His enemies. That's what's happening here. This is a different voice. Different kind of voice. This is not a happy voice. 
not a happy voice. Uh, you, you can tell a lot of, about someone's by their voice. At least I could with my mom's voice. Okay? And she would come out the door. We would be playing outside, uh, kind of a distance. And she would hollow out. And the first time it would be a pleasant voice, wouldn't it? Pleasant voice. The second time, now we would pretend not to hear that voice. The second time, it would be a little bit more intense. But by the third voice, it was a different voice. And we knew, we knew that we better get to that house as quickly as possible. This is God's voice. This is God's wrathful voice. This is a a voice of recompense. Now, here's the, here's the principle, here's the point here. God, God's love for man is subject to God's holiness and God's justice. Now, God loves man. And we've been hearing the, the loving voice of God for so long that we forget that His holiness and His righteousness, His justice, it will prevail. He will, He will deal with sin. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. This is a harsh thing for us to hear. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and verse 19. This is hard for people to take. And they're they're not used to hearing this. But Paul kind of deals with this subject. Romans chapter 9 verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he find fault? For who who, who resists his will? On the contrary... Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The things molded doesn't say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter say have the right over the clay to make from the same lump a vessel of honor and use, honorable use, and another for common use? What if God, though willing to demonstrate his wrath, now there's our key, he's wanting to demonstrate his wrath. And to make his power known, endured with much patience. Now, this is where I think we we stay. We just stay in the patience of God. We think it will never end. Much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. They've prepared themselves. It's not that God has prepared them. They've prepared themselves for this wrath. This time of wrath to come. Now, that's... That's the voice. And, and the, the, the answer is, who are we to even, who are we to even question standing authority over God? Now listen, this is God's voice. And I'm afraid, and this is not a happy voice, like I said. This is God's voice. And I believe in our world today, people will be surprised at this voice. They will be shocked at this kind of voice. Because they have in their mind that God is just loving and He's just going to allow sin to just continue in His world without any, without any problems. And they, and we live, we, they see a, a God that is, that is loving, but a little weak, a little soft on sin, very easily to manipulate. If we do this and we do that, just kind of playing religion. And the problem is, is that they have a, a low view of God. And when you do that, when you have a low view of God, you will have a high view of self. We learned that from the Puritans. They emphasize that. When you have a low view of God, you will have a high view of self. And that's exactly what we have today. 
we live in a, a culture, a self-esteem kind of culture. Just everybody you know, just, just thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to think, the way Paul would put it. But let me read you. And it basically comes down to pride, folks. That's, that's it. Just read. Let me read you this definition of pride from uh, Stuart Scott. <clears throat> he said this. He said, pride is the, uh, the mindset of self. It is the master mindset rather than the servant's mindset. It's a focus on self and serving self and uh, pursuing self-recognition and self-exaltation. It's a desire to control and use other things and other people for self. Now, folks, that's a, that's a description of our day. And it goes on to say just some ways that this is manifested is that we then feel the privilege or, or the ability then to to find judgment and pass judgment upon God. If we find ourselves doing that, we have a low view of God, folks. We have a low view of God. When we begin to complain, we have a low view of God. When we lack gratitude, it's coming from a master's mindset as opposed to a servant's mindset. And I believe a lot of people are angry today because they do not have a servant's mindset. Let me read you his definition of humility. A humble man thinks of God as his creator and his as in, and himself as God's creation. That's the right mindset. That's the truth. That's the reality of the situation. We're just creatures, creatures of this of this God. He goes on to say he does not see himself as even remotely qualified to pass judgment on God or what God does. He knows that his perfect and all-wise God, this perfect and all-wise God can do whatever he pleases and he will be the best for it. Now, that is the right mindset. That is humility. It's humility. Folks, we don't see that. Today, I'm afraid our world, and it comes into our church, has a very high view of self. When you have a high view of self, you take God down a notch. You have a low view of God. And folks, I'm afraid this voice is going to shock some people. This is not the God that they know. Dave, uh, Dave mentioned earlier of uh, the, the early uh, American, uh, the founders of, uh, of America, early founding fathers, Many of them were not Christians. Some of them were deists. and Just exactly what Dave was talking about. But here's what was true about that time. I believe that the church had a huge influence on the culture at that time. And the people, the people knew that. The people that were making decisions, well, yeah, this is the natural thing. It's, it's not that they were necessarily Christians. It's just they were being influenced by a lot of Christians and a lot of Christian thinking. And that, I believe, folks, is just being dismantled. Dismantled. Much of that today. Now, I digress. But what we have to come, have to bring from that is a high view of God. God has every right to do what He is doing here. He is, he is just, His justice and His holiness demands that He does this. So we need to uh, rec- recognize the source of this command. Let's move on. Number two, there's significance in the target here. The target. Where's the target? Look at verse 1 again. Um, he says, saying to the seven angels, he says, Go and pour out 
on the earth, actually literally into, into the earth, into the earth, the seven bowls, wrath. They, they are to pour into on, on the earth, the earth. Now remember, the earth, we, we have seen it before, those earth dwellers, those people who dwell on the earth, those unbelievers are attached to the earth. They do not live under God's rule, under God's authority. They're attached to this earth. And he says, now pour out these seven bowls, seven bowls, seven. The words, the, the number seven is always a number of completion, isn't it? It's complete. And it gives indication that God's wrath is full this is the end. These bowls are not going to hold anymore. No more. And there's seven of these angels. They're holding these bowls and they're getting ready to be poured out. And God gives the command. But notice, He gives the command all at once. He gives the command to all seven of these angels at the same time. And the indication is, essentially, they're just going to be poured out. Poured out one right after the other without any lag time. Without any... And, and that makes it hard. There's a few things that we notice because of that. Because of, because of this rapid fire judgment upon the earth, we see that this thing cannot be explained away as just, oh, it's just a natural phenomenon. Oh, that earthquake, it's just a natural thing. That flood, just a natural thing. Just natural phenomenon. It can't be explained away by, by science. It's an obvious bombardment from God. All of these things. And you see in chapter 16, you see verse 2, verse 3. Uh, you see the first two judgments. It's just one bowl right after the other, right after the other being poured out. Very little lag time at all. And that means there's very little recovery time for the earth. The earth can't sustain that. The earth can't recover from that. And then the third thing we need to notice is that surely they will repent from this, Right? But we find out that they don't. We'll look at that next week. This pouring out, the, the idea is uh, to cause to run over a container. To, to dump it out. It's the word that we would, we would think of. But there's many different ways that God dispenses His anger. And, and we see this. We know this in Scripture. In John chapter 3, we find that God's anger is, is directed toward the unbelievers. Those who are not putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We, we see that. And there's, so there's no misguided anger that's going to be dumped out. This isn't going to be unbelievers. This is unbelievers. God's wrath. But then we also see that God pours His wrath out. He, He has provoked many times. Provoked to anger. And that's what we see many times in Scripture. Uh, you can turn over. I can give you a whole list of verses. Numbers chapter 32 talks about this adding to the burning anger of the Lord. Adding to it. There's a provocation from man. This is a, a stirring up of God's anger. The Bible talks about that. It's like you push a balloon too hard. And that balloon's going to pop. You push God too hard. You hit Him in the wrong way. And He will bring judgment upon you. God's judgment is poured out sometimes in that way. And we've seen that. I mean, look at, look at the, the flood, the great flood. Man, the heart of man was constantly, continuously evil. And so God floods the earth. And let's get rid of them. That's a judgment upon the earth. God's anger, God's wrath was provoked. The Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, the people from 
Egypt, the king of Egypt, and he was pursuing with Israel God's judgment come upon him and God's wrath was unleashed. Nadab and Abihu. Sometimes it's even God's wrath is, is upon Israel. We see that in Scripture. But we see example after example of God's wrath being poured out. Or not just poured out, but provoked. But also what we see, and I do want you to turn over to Romans chapter 1. This is, this is one that you may not, be, may not have thought about. Paul talks about that God's wrath is being revealed daily, on a constant basis. Chapter 1 and verse 18, he says this, For the wrath of God is revealed. That means you can see it. It's manifested in some way from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Man just continues faced with the truth, but they suppressed it. They don't want to hear that truth, so they, they just kind of put it aside. They don't listen to it. You say, well, how's, how's God's judgment? Look down at verse 24. Therefore, God gives them over, gave them over to the lust of their heart, to impurities. In verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to depraved passions. And 28, gave them over to a uh, depraved mind. God, in this kind of judgment, this is a judgment of abandonment. This is kind of passive judgment, we might call it, on God. Where God chooses to just remove His hand of grace slowly off of man. He's not going to protect man anymore. He's going to allow nature just to have its way. The natural recourse of their own sinfulness. And God, God just pulls it off. He's not going to protect them. And, and man's going to face the consequences of their own sin just by nature. God's hand's pulled off. Folks, that, that's part of God's wrath. And we see it every day. And we look at America. At America, we just see God's grace, God's hand of grace being pulled away. Let, let nature take its course and nature is corrupted. The nature of man is corrupt and it will take its course and Man will just essentially be eat up by their own sinfulness. And God says, if you want to go down that road, if you want to continue down that road, I will let you go down that road. And He'll move His hand of, of grace. But there's another element. God's wrath is slow. Now, just think about that. Turn over to Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Uh, chapter 1. I know you probably didn't realize that that was a book of the Bible, but it is. Zephaniah. It's in the Old Testament. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 14, talks about this idea. Verse 14, he says, Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the, the day of the Lord. In it, the warriors cry out bitterly. A day of wrath. In, this, in that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and des, uh, desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Just skip down to verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them from the, the day of the Lord's wrath. There's a special day. That, that God's wrath is going to be revealed. It's a day that, how did it describe it? Trouble, destruction, darkness, gloom. That's the day that we're talking about, folks. This is the day that's about to come. This is the day of the Lord's wrath. Now, what you see in Scripture is you see a building up of God's wrath. 
building up of God's wrath. Much like a, a dam would, would be built up. There's water flowing into the lake. But if they don't release that water at some point, those, that dam is going to bulge. And sometimes you see that, especially this time of year. We see uh, if they didn't release those dams in, in Houston, there would be big problems. Big problems. And they released the water to, to, to release some of the pressure off of those dams. If they did not, those dams would, would just burst. That's the description here of, of God's wrath. It's just being filled up. Water's coming in all the time, all the time. That dam is just swelling, swelling, swelling. Those bowls are filling up. They're almost ready to be poured out. God's wrath. Now that's a, that's a pretty scary scene. Pretty scary scene. Now, let's apply that for a second. The problem is, is people misunderstand God's patience. When we look around and we say, God's not really that concerned about my sin. He's not, he's not gonna come back. This is the world thinking. Or, or he's, uh, maybe he's not even up there anyway. They're playing this atheist game. Oh, there's, there's, God doesn't even exist. But here's what's happening. The world is getting their theology from what they see. Now the church must be careful not to get our theology by what we see around us. Not what we see around us. The, the world does not see the, the dam bulging. The world doesn't see the, the water flowing in, the wrath of God building up, those sins just adding to every day, every day, just constantly building up, ready to, to explode. The world does not see that. The world doesn't see that. They're basing their theology upon what they see. And what they see is, oh, God is loving we can play this religious game. He is not concerned about my sin. In fact, I did this sin and no lightning struck. Nothing happened. So obviously, God is, is okay with this. He wants me to be happy, right? They have the wrong God. They, they're looking at the wrong picture. What do we, what do we do? As Christians, we see the dam being bulging, swelling. We see the flow of sin coming in to the lake. We see that. Why? Because we live by faith and not by sight. Folks, that's what we have to do. If we just pick up our theology by our own experience and our theology by what we see, we will have a wrong theology and we will not see the day of God's wrath coming at all. It will be a shock. It will be a surprise because that's not the God we know. And that's sad. That's sad. The world is not living in light of the reality. We are. But we have to attach ourselves to this word. We have to look at this word. This brings us reality right here. We cannot base our theology upon the things around us. God's patience must not be mistaken for excusing sin. And I'm afraid that's what the world does. The world doesn't see it. The world doesn't, doesn't realize it, but someday God's wrath is coming and it is building up and there will be a, a day of wrath. Let me give you the third one, third point. And for us, just applying that for our own lives, folks, we have to present the right vision, the right image of God to the world. God is loving. He is a loving God and He is so patient. But in reality is there is a day of judgment coming. Number three, there's, look at the motivation here. Uh, God's wrath, the principle here is God's wrath is slow, but certain. 
God's wrath is slow but certain. Look at the principle. Look at verse 1. Go and pour it out on the earth. That's the target. Um, the seven bowls of the wrath of God. What's motivating this? Is God's wrath. God's wrath. Now, unfortunately, we don't know a lot about God's wrath today. We don't. The doctrine of God's wrath is not just study. We haven't had a Sunday school class on the wrath of God. And we could, but we just haven't. It's not really a popular subject. We don't know a whole lot about it, but the Bible talks a whole lot about God's wrath. I want to kind of go over that. The reality, folks, is that we've already declared war on God, and God has declared war on us. We have been the provokers. We have uh, instigated this thing. We are the antagonists. We have rebelled against God. We have provoked God to, to anger. And the reality is, is we know judgment is coming. We know judgment is coming. And this war will come to an end. And like many wars, they will come to a dramatic end. Um, many things have ushered in the ending of a war, but I just, again, go back to the dropping of the bombs of, uh, uh, on Japan. Those two bombs alone, I know there are others, but they, they brought a swift ending to this war. This last wave of judgment is going to bring a, a swift ending to this war. Why? Because God's wrath is going to be poured out. If you look at chapter 15 and verse 1, then I saw another sign in the heavens, great and marvelous, seven angels. Now, these are the same seven angels who had seven plagues. These plagues are, are bowls of wrath, of God's wrath, which are the lasts, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. He's going to pour this out, and that will be it. That will be it. Now, there's a, a few things that we need to know and understand about the wrath of God. It's not a frivolous anger that we may think of today. You know, you kind of push your mom's buttons, just keep pushing, and her voice level goes up, and then by the time you get to the, the mom voice... By the way, I, I, I had to use my dad voice the other day, just kind of as, as a side... I had to use my dad voice on the youngest dingus uh, and the newest in the dingus clan, and that was puppy dingus. <laughs> and that puppy had to be gotten under control, right? And you use, you use that voice. And, and Carolyn said, um, he said, Dad, I haven't heard that voice in a long time. I'm thinking, I haven't used that voice in a long time. But it had to be done, and God's voice is, is there, and it's coming, and it's a voice of wrath, folks. It's not a friendly, happy-go-lucky, just I'm just a little angry kind of voice. This is a voice of God's wrath. This is slow anger that has built up. Let me tell you some things, and I wish I had had time to put it on the screen. But let me tell you some things about God's wrath. Number one, it, it brings affliction, and we know that. God's wrath brings punishment, affliction on man. Now, sometimes that affliction is in just the way of fear. And I, I was amazed at this. Exodus chapter 16, verse 24. I don't have time to look at that. But the armies of Egypt, they were just afraid. They saw this big, cloudy uh, pillar 
And that brought them fear. God's wrath was there. They felt that. And it, it brought fear upon their life. Not just affliction, but fear. And then ultimately, judgment. Judgment. So that's, that's kind of the bottom line of wrath. But God's wrath is also righteous. It is not some out of control, sinful uh, impulse from God. No, not at all. It is complete balance with His holiness, with His justice, with His love. It's all in complete balance. And that's, a, that's an interesting little... He's not just flying off the handle. He has been patient up to a point. Now, this is a good model for us. It's a good model for raising our own children, isn't it? We're patient to a point. Now, I'll get back to that thought. Another element of God's wrath is that it cannot be resisted. I can't wake up in the morning, oh, God, I know you have wrath on me. But you know what? I, can you just postpone that till tomorrow? It cannot be resisted. God's wrath will come when it comes. It, it, it is to be dreaded in Scripture, what we see. It is to be feared and, and dreaded. We do not want the wrath of God. But as a believer, we're seeing in, we see in Scripture that we're submit to God's wrath. We're just submit to it sometimes. And folks, I know, I know when God's wrath is upon me, I, I know that I've displeased the Lord. And, and God's wrath is, is upon me. And Scripture tells us just to submit to that. Yield to that. What do I do in that wrathful time? What do I do when I'm under God's judgment? I just yield to that. And then another element is I pray that it be removed. We see that example in Scripture. We pray that it would be removed. The purpose of God's wrath is that it leads to repentance. At least it's supposed to lead to repentance. That's the point. We, we spank our children so that they will repent, so that they will, they will be broken and, and stop doing the things that, that they were doing. It leads to repentance. But there's one other thing about God's wrath, and that's when it's toward God's people, God's wrath is toward God's people, it's tempered wrath. And that's a wonderful thought. Even in God's wrath for, toward His believers, it's tempered. It's not the full wrath. Who took the full load of God's wrath for the believer? Christ Himself. Christ Himself took that. He raised His hand. He volunteered. He took my place. He took our place. He purchased His church with His blood. He took all of God's wrath upon Himself for, for us. For us. And then one last thing about God's wrath is that the only way to avoid God's wrath is is to believe in Christ. It's faith in Christ, repentance, confessing of your sins, and, and restoring that relationship with God. That's like the umbrella. Christ would be the umbrella in a rainstorm. God's wrath is coming and we're sitting there. We're completely dry. Why? Because we have Christ covering us. Christ covering us. Now, let's apply this just quickly. Let me notice that this is news. This is news that is just, um, it's to be spread word of mouth. It's just to be spread word of mouth. Now, you would, you would think that God's wrath is going to be, uh, be poured out. I mean, there would be big neon signs on this particular day. God's wrath is going to come and, and God would be there with all of His angels flagging us down, saying, stop, God's wrath is ahead. But you don't see that. You don't see that. What you see is, is really like the way we, we should parent our children. 
But we, we train our children to obey our, our word. Our words, right? Don't make mommy get to the point that the, that her voice is elevated. Obey her word. Don't get her to the point where she's angry, where she's, where she's ready to just unleash upon you. And so what we do is we train our children. No, you need to do it. We, we speak calmly. We say, no, you need to do it. You need to do it now. And you need to do it according to mommy's voice. Or mommy's words, not mommy's, the elevation of mommy's voice, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And was I the only one that did that to my mom? I just pretend not to hear or pretend not to do or whatever. And she just, okay, I've had it with you. Now that's not, God is not going to come to that point. That's not what we see at all. He has warned. He has been patient. He has been kind. He has been loving. And He is word of mouth just spreading. You better tell people, someday I'm coming. Someday my wrath is coming. And folks, that's what we depend upon. That's what we, that's what we know to be true. We don't have to, to hear a frantic message or frantic signs in the sky from God. We just depend upon His Word. Why? Because His Word never fails. He is a God that does not lie. He's a God that does not lie. And so we just say, listen, God, if you've said that, then that must be true. So this Word, this Word is spread just by word of mouth. He entrusted this message to to us, to the church. This is recorded for us to read and for us to go out and to influence the world with this message, to let people know that they're serving the wrong God. Serving the wrong God. And folks, I call the church to this. Let's listen to the calm voice of God. God does not have to put neon signs up. No, no. He is patient. He is loving. But let me tell you, His Word will not fail. And He will come. And let me tell you, we see a snapshot. That's just it. He's just, all He's doing is giving one little command to all of these angels and it is done. It will be done. Just a command. But it's a significant command, isn't it? Significant command. People will die. As a result of this, it's a bittersweet thing for us as believers. It's going to usher in Christ. Now, let me ask you, are you ready for this kind of wrath of God? Is this the God that you know or, is, or are you still just serving a God of love and just a complacency? Maybe a little Santa Claus kind of God that just likes to give presents. That's the wrong God, folks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this warning. It's very subtle. Very, uh, just, just kind of commonplace. But you let us know, Lord, that you are coming. You've told us. You've warned the world. You've warned us to, to inform the world. Now, Lord, help us to live in light of what we know. Not, not like the world who just makes up their theology based upon what they see. We know, we know from the Word of God, we know from what You've told us that this is going to be a reality. May we live in light of this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If we can help you, we're going to ask you to stand. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. See any of our elders uh, today.
uh, or stop by anytime during the week. We'd love to be able to uh, go through Scripture. We'd love to be able to pray with you. These are spiritual matters. We need to all think through these things. Um, we thank you for your kind attention to us.